Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Investing with Steve Davenport and Clem Miller. Every two weeks, Steve and Clem bring you brief investment insights you may not find anywhere else. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Here are Steve and Clem. The Skeptic's Guide to Investing. My name is Steve Davenport. Today, Clem Miller and I are going to tackle the issue of ESG investing. I'm sure many of you have considered ESG investing or at least wondered about it. Thanks, Steve. The reason we're talking about this subject today is because of an opinion piece that came out a couple of weeks ago in the Financial Times. The article was written by Aswath Ramodaran and provocatively entitled, ESG is Beyond Redemption, May It Rest in Peace. Before we turn to the article, it's important first to explain the label ESG. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. ESG isn't just one thing like climate change. It's a whole bunch of things, many unrelated, all mixed together. It's a bit like a meatloaf or a fruitcake. ESG is simply an amorphous concept. An industry of ESG rating agencies has emerged to try to profit from attempts to resolve this confusion. However, these agencies have only worsened the confusion. There are dozens of indicators that go into the ESG ratings. Different rating agencies use different indicators and, and can apply different weights. As a result, the ratings can vary significantly among agencies. As such, the value of these ratings is questionable. Beyond the confusion over how to measure something so amorphous, there's an awful lot to dispute over what ESG is actually supposed to do. That's where the FT's opinion piece comes in. The underlying thrust of the editorial is that ESG is essentially a branding exercise by folks trying to promote investment products. We all know that branding involves storytelling, and indeed, several stories have been told about ESG. According to the author, the ESG promoters have had to change their sales story repeatedly as regulatory and investor doubts grew. Initially, the ESG promoters were branding ESG as a way of avoiding investing in bad things from a societal perspective and favoring investing in good things. You've probably heard the expression, doing good while doing well. That sums up the initial ESG sales story. Now, it's quite legitimate for an investor to seek to exclude specific kinds of stocks they find morally objectionable from their own personal portfolios or to focus on stocks that promote certain moral causes. This is often called socially responsible investing. Steve, I know you have had clients who have asked for customized SRI portfolios. Yes, Clem. There, there have been several instances in my career that the concept has been brought up, and I think it has some merit for the groups that um, I was originally involved with at SSGA. There was the Sisters of St. Clair, who were um, an order of nuns who live in a monastery, and they focused on buying things they could believe in. And so they were one of the first socially responsible investors at SSGA. And their lives are dedicated to prayer and good works. 
And for these sisters, they wanted their money to be similarly dedicated to things that were, one, not going to hurt the environment that God gave us, and two, also um, follow the rules that are out there. So one of the names that had a problem was GE, because at the time they had a plant that had um, gotten some fines for releasing chemicals into the Hudson River. And so at the time, in around 2000, it was unheard of for somebody to not own GE. Um, they didn't own a lot of energy names or industrials or utilities. And I look back at that, and the sisters did very well. The portfolio was overweight towards technology, 2000, 2001. Um, it got hurt in 2001 and two, but the the main purpose was they felt very comfortable owning what they owned, and they were very aware that they were overweight one area, which they felt was more of the future, and very underweight areas that they felt might have been uh, a carbon-based past. And when I think about that 23 years ago, I kind of believe that the reincarnation with ESG of socially responsible was bound to come back as people start to question their faith and some of the things going on in the business community. A second example is uh, a client here in Atlanta has a family foundation that's dedicated to faith-based causes. And he wanted to have us um, build a portfolio that would be free of the names he felt were conflicting with those faith-based values. So I, I think the terms and the breadth of socially responsible and ESG are all things that are in flux. And I think that the biggest problem I've had with this idea is the concept that your returns are as good or your risk is lower, when in reality, I think it's just a different set of risks and a different set of returns, not necessarily one that is better or worse than you would get on your own. What do you think about the different animal that is ESG? Well, I was, uh, when you were speaking, Steve, I was thinking just about that. I think it is a, a different animal uh, than these customized uh, SRI portfolios that you're talking about uh, for the clients that you were dealing with. Uh, ESG por portfolios are actually standardized. The ESG providers offer the same portfolios to thousands, even millions of investors. Of course, all of these individuals hold different personal individualized views of what's objectionable or preferable, and yet the ESG providers are offering them the exact same portfolio. So it's it's not customized to, uh, to personal uh, preferences or objections. So with thousands right. or millions investing in the same standard portfolio, the doing good while doing well sales story doesn't really pass fiduciary muster. Per the FT opinion piece, once the ESG promoters were called out on this fiduciary problem, they changed their sales story. They now characterized ESG as a way of reducing risk in a portfolio without at the same time reducing returns. This was a clever way of trying to pass a fiduciary muster. 
However, there were several problems with this new story, as Steve alluded to. First, there's no reliable way of measuring ESG since the ESG ratings are a mess. It's not even really possible to calculate ESG-driven uh, risk and return in terms of normal financial risk and return. Second, there is not much evidence that a climate-sensitive portfolio, which many of these ESG portfolios uh, attempt to be, uh, can sustainably improve risk returns. For example, there's there are times when high oil prices boost energy stocks, which, as you can imagine, are typically underweight in an ESG portfolio. Since high oil prices are always possible, does it really make sense to completely rule out energy stocks? What do you think, Steve? I think it's very hard because uh, one of the issues that I've heard is that people want to be able to talk to companies and see if they can move and change and adapt. When I think of uh, not owning shares and going to a company and asking them to do something differently, I don't think we're coming from a position of strength. Uh, I think that there's times when we need to work with companies who might be doing things better in terms of new research into different forms of uh, less carbon-based energy products. Um, ESG portfolios tend to overweight asset-like technology stocks and underweight others like industrials, energy, or utilities. Obviously, significantly overweighting any one sector can be risky to your portfolio. There are times when the technology sector can be hit very badly, and ignoring the value in energy stocks with a PEs of 8 to 10 times earnings feels like you could be missing an opportunity. I, I think it really comes down to how strictly do you want to define these things and how I agree with you that it trying to define one term for everyone is not necessarily giving you um, the best solution. Right. And and that's echoed in the FT opinion piece. The article uh, noted that, uh, that when this ESG improves risk return argument fell apart uh, and was questioned, the ESG promoters adopted a new story. This would be their third story uh, about how ESG improves disclosure to investors. Basically, the ESG promoters saw that ESG portfolios struggled when energy and industrial stocks did better than tech stocks, and they needed a new story. Disclosures are something that nobody can complain about. The more disclosure, the better, is my view. And the more precise, the better. Knowing a precise number for carbon intensity is much more useful than having some random ESG rating. Some companies also publish their own ESG reports. You know, these do contain a lot of self-promotion, but they likely also contain some very useful and important data points as well. Probably more standardization in this area is needed, however. Nobody should complain about comprehensive disclosures. If a company faces problems relating to the health of its workers or consumer complaints about products, or is pumping out a lot of carbon, it's more likely to get sued. 
Wouldn't you want to know if a company faces severe legal or reputation risks? Thus, it's really better to have more disclosures than not to have them. And on that basis, investors can make better decisions about stocks. But again, please don't be fooled if you're told that standard ESG portfolios reduce risks, improve returns, or allow you to do good while doing well by your own definition of what doing good means. Steve? I think that's a great uh, way to end that segment, Clem. Um, We've got a question from the mailbag. Um, Do either of you invest any of your assets according to ESG principles? And I'll start first by saying, yes, um, at our firm, Circuit Capital, we uh, try to um, invest alongside of our clients. So if there's a strategy that's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. So I've decided to make an allocation in my portfolio to our faith-based um, strategy because I believe you, you know, you got to eat your own cooking. Um, I think that when I look at it, the, you know, the values that we're espousing are recommended to us from the U.S. Uh, College of Catholic Bishops. And we're trying to come up with what I consider to be a strong portfolio, uh, 40 names, equally divided in the sectors like the S&P. Um, so I feel that um, some part of my assets should be invested in that way. Is it all of my assets invested this way? No, but it is some of the assets in my retirement account. And I kind of believe that managers who don't invest in their own strategies, um, they raise a, they raise a pretty big issue and a flag for me. So yes, my answer would be, I follow the ESG principles of the U.S. College of Catholic Bishops in terms of investing. And um, it's not all my assets, but it's a significant portion. How about you, Clem? So uh, my answer is actually a little different. Um, In my personal investment portfolio, I do not explicitly pick stocks or design my portfolio, even some of it. Uh, around some notion of ESG. Instead, I use a set of structured criteria, mostly quantitative, uh, for picking the stocks in my personal portfolio. Given these criteria, however, my portfolio uh, usually has no oil or gas uh, and no utilities and uh, no bank stocks. So I am light on those areas. And so my portfolio may indeed look pretty good on ESG, but I'm not starting with ESG and uh, and then picking stocks that are good ESG. My The structured portfolio that I have takes me in a direction that may be consistent with that. Uh, so my portfolio is prob- probably okay on ENG, but maybe less so on S. I think I understand the uh, no oil and gas and utilities, but can you explain the no bank stocks to me after having such a long and prosperous career in banking? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. You're putting me on the spot here. Um, so the problem with banks is that, well, first of all, they don't really meet a number of my criteria about 
revenue growth, earnings growth, uh, and profitability. Um, those things are very important. I also look at short interest ratio. That's the degree of interest by short sellers in stocks. And banks don't do great on that criterion. Um, and also, I look at uh, how well employees uh, rate their companies, because that's a measure of uh, of how well maybe those companies are governed. And and typically, with a few exceptions, very few exceptions, banks don't really do all that great uh, on these uh, on these corporate employee ratings. So yeah, I'm so that's, you so that's why banks pump. don't uh, don't show up uh, in my portfolio. I think that I understand uh, why you might uh, not own the banking sector. Um, I, I I guess I would say that your your desire to have certain types of companies make you aligned with some ESG values, but it's not the primary driver. Is that fair? That's a fair way to say it. Yeah, there's. I mean, just throughout my portfolio, I don't really, it's not top down. I don't decide on something at a top down macro level and then look for stocks. My stocks kind of bubble up and they may show some, they may show some behavior or trends or qualities that might be consistent with one of these themes. So in summary today, what do people need to take away from the skeptics guide to investing? Uh, well, um, I would say um, that the um, first of all, that there's not a great definition of what ESG is. Uh, we have the label, of course, uh, but ESG, uh, you know, the, the actual when it comes down to uh, brass tacks, you know, different rating agencies of ESG, different people who look at ESG, all have a different conception of what ESG is. And the problem with, uh, as we discussed, the problem with uh, folks who provide investment products that are related to ESG are trying to sell standardized products uh, to, the, to thousands and millions of investors who ha all have different views as to what is preferable or objectionable. Uh, from a moral standpoint in portfolio. So ESG doesn't really meet the kinds of criteria uh, that, say, a socially responsible investor who has very specific ideas as to what they want or don't want. It just ESG doesn't you know, sort of fit that that mold. Um, so that's that's what I would uh, that's how I would answer that. I, I think that uh, also it's. Um, it's challenging uh, for uh, it's challenging for somebody who isn't in the weeds on particular stocks to really understand how uh, ESG actually applies to those particular stocks. So, so basically, don't you know? Don't um, don't think of ESG as something uh, that solves your problems regarding um or your issues regarding you know whether stocks are morally objectionable or morally preferable don't think of esg as something that reduces your risks or increases your returns necessarily um but do think of esg stocks that are high esg as something that might provide 
a little bit more disclosure into the kinds of things that uh, that uh, that might create, you know, lawsuits and and other things. The views shared on this podcast represent the personal investment views of the hosts. They are for educational purposes and not meant to be taken as investment advice. Listeners should consult their own investment, legal, and tax advisors. Past performance of any investments is not a guarantee for future return.